And uh, welcome once again to another Throttle Up radio show and podcast. And I'm your host, Captain Kevin Smith, and I'm glad to be here. And I'm here with my audio engineer uh, who helps me every week. Okay, so podcast, we are a podcast and a radio show. Our radio show is on Red State Talk Radio on the weekends. And then, of course, we have a podcast posted on, well, let's see, our, our website. We have a website, throttleupradio.com. And also the podcast is available on all podcast platforms that we are aware of. So we've got wide distribution for the podcast as well, and, and the podcast is uh, is weekly, basically. Uh, not entirely correct, but we do take a few weeks off for various reasons during the course of the year, but uh, not exactly 52 weeks, but close enough. Okay, we are in the midst of a special edition of the uh, Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast, and that is called Think Like a Fighter Pilot. And the reason for that, as we have said often in this forum, the reason for that is because uh, we need to. Uh, We have to go to a a place within the realm of reality that uh, is not uh, very well understood and it might even be uncomfortable for some, uh, but uh, I don't think we have any choice of the matter. There is uh, there is so much going on that we have to really commit ourselves to improving our ability to think critically in all kinds of ways. Uh, the critical thinking is an ongoing process. It's not a one-stop shop. You don't, just don't purchase a critical thinking uh, what would I? What would you call it? Talking to my audio engineer, a token. Uh, you wouldn't just uh, buy a critical thinking token and then, then that's the end of it. It's it's actually it's a lifelong learning process. It's a pursuit of knowledge, and the pursuit of the truth. I guess you could say that what we are talking about is um, an aspect of critical thinking and complex problem solving that that enables us to, um, first and foremost, uh, determine uh, what is true, what is true, what is actual, what is real, what is objectively true, what is useful, and what is enduring. Just keep in mind that the truth is enduring and the lies are not. Okay, just keep that in mind. Uh, okay, so we're going to start off the show. Now, uh, by the way, I, I guess I need to say this as well. We have a new book out. It's called A Sonic Warrior, Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer. Uh, and we have a, is our website up up and running? I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, okay. So we have a website. It is thesoniquarrior.com. Is that correct? I'm asking my audio engineer. She knows more than I do about about a lot of things. Uh, okay, so yes, yeah, uh, the book, uh, The Sonic Warrior, Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer, of course, and we have the other book, which is the companion book, which is Critical Thinking Essentials, Quick Reference Handbook, and you can find those books anywhere, uh, just virtually any place. Uh, even you can, I know Sonic Warrior is available at Walmart and Target, as well as all the other major uh, book outlets, uh, most, and I would say all bookstores can get it because it's uh, distributed by Ingram, and so that means it's worldwide distribution uh, for uh, both of the books. Both books are distributed by Ingram, we know that for sure, The Sonic Warrior and Critical Thinking Essentials. Okay, we're going to start off with another question from my great audio engineer. She's going to ask this question. And then I'm going to spend the next, uh, what is it, uh, about 50 minutes uh, addressing myself to the question and trying to answer it in the best way that I possibly can. Here, here she is. 
Hi there, Kevin, and uh, hello to our listening audience. We are so glad that you are here. Okay, the question. What can you tell us about your life as a sonic warrior and squadron commander and your formula for success in such a complex, uncertain, and stressful world? Okay, uh, yeah, that's a great question, and it's a good lead-in to the kinds of things that I've been talking about recently uh, in a number of forums, uh, uh, doing some speaking engagements at the Yanks Air Museum as well, and uh, in other places. We just finished uh, uh, a rather, I would say, uh, a rather important uh, author signing event at Barnes and Noble in Las Vegas and so we're getting out there into the um, public arena and we're talking about some important stuff some of the things that are not well understood and haven't been addressed uh, in um, maybe in a way that they should be I'm kind of thinking that of course you know I do a lot of thinking right (laughs) so but I'm kind of thinking that that maybe what we need to do is we need to, you know, revisit the way we think and revisit what what is it about human achievement that we really need to understand. Often it's called uh, creative creativity, innovation and creativity is is a key phrase out there. Other people, I think, Constantine Kissin has talked about uh, create and build, or build and create. I'm not sure how, exactly how he said it, but that's essentially what he said. Okay, so we are talking about the 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 human intellect, uh, human intellectual preparedness, intellectual readiness in order to perform in a in an environment that is uh, first and foremost stressful, uh, it is very, very complex. It is very, un- there's lots of uncertainty. Uncertainty prevails. Uh, it is the environment that we call the airborne battle space. Once you enter the airborne battle space, uh, you have to adopt a certain type of thinking, a certain mode of thinking, a certain orientation with respect to your cognitive processing that is going on, and and those kinds of things. Okay. The airborne battle space that I was trained in uh, that I occupied, I became a frontline fighter pilot, I became a sonic warrior, and I was also a an advanced air combat instructor pilot. I taught other pilots how to perform well in high-velocity aerial combat. And... I was also at the same time simultaneously the squadron commander of a squadron deployed to the uh, Pacific Theater of Operation. <clears throat> the aircraft carrier that I was on was the uh, USS Constellation, and that is within the group of, uh, we, we call it the Kitty Hawk class, the way the Navy uh, organizes their thinking with respect to aircraft carriers is the first carrier in the class takes on that terminology and so uh, of other carriers to follow that are built along the same uh, structural guidelines form a class Kitty Hawk class start off with it with the USS Kitty Hawk and then and then the Constellation and then the Enterprise and the Kennedy and the America I think that that was it this is the first group of supercarriers and that was uh, somewhere between 60 and 90,000 tons 
expanded flight deck and uh, uh, it was more stable in the ocean and had all kinds of other features. We could carry about 100 airplanes and we could also uh, carry about 5,000 human beings. All right, so 5,000 human beings aboard plus 100 airplanes represents um, the aircraft carrier. We were a member of a carrier task, task force. Uh, which included a number of other uh, floating uh, combat uh, and support ships. And like I said, we had about 100 airplanes as well. Okay, ships and airplanes, carrier task force, a very formidable weapon system, a frontline uh, weapon system uh, for this country. And, and we dominated the sea and the air. Okay, just no question about it. We were a seaborne uh, combat uh, force, and we dominated the sea, and we dominated the air for a very long period of time. When I was the squadron commander, we were still involved with the Cold War, and so I was operating at the high end of the conflict spectrum. Now, what does that mean? Well, okay, uh, that's a term... I'm not certain of this, but I'm just going to go out on a limb and say uh, that is a term that has been coined by uh, Captain Fitzsimmons. Um, He works at, uh, currently, uh, it's my understanding that he works at the Naval War College, and uh, I think he coined that term or or maybe his predecessor did. Anyway, so it it kind of comes, comes out of that. Uh, of that part of the uh, naval establishment, high end of the conflict spectrum. What exactly does that mean? High end of the conflict spectrum means that we are facing a near-peer adversary that has modern military equipment that can engage itself in modern warfare and is formidable and very, very effective. But they are our enemy. And there's no question about it. They are our enemy. And we have faced these people on the battlefield, starting, by the way, in World War II and uh, and then going from there. Uh, our engagement with a uh, with a key aspect of the enemy's forces uh, occurred in Europe during World War II as well as in the Pacific uh, theater of operations during World War II and uh, and it went you know went on from there until the end of the Cold War so I was involved uh, during the Cold War period now we're talking about the time frame that I'm talking about when I was squadron commander, the time frame was in the 1970s, and that was the that was uh, at the at the height of the Cold War. I uh, think think the Cold War ended in 1989, if I remember right. Uh, anyway, so we were preparing for battle against a formidable enemy. So we were operating at the high end of the conflict spectrum. Okay. Our success was dependent upon a number of things. And one of the things that is not, well, let's say this. Uh, uh, I will say that it hasn't been emphasized as much as I think it should be, is uh, that this whole idea, if we are going to be a frontline fighting force, and if we are going to be able to defeat uh, all high-end adversaries who are extremely capable, we're going to have to master a number of things. The first order of business for us as combat aviators is we have to be able to manage and to 
master velocity. Okay, now, I'm not sure whether that's been emphasized very much at all, uh, but it should be and it should have been. Now, velocity is key. One of the keys to mission success within the airborne battle space is velocity. The other key is maneuverability, or uh, we can also say agility. Uh, in in this context, it, it means essentially the same thing. Okay, so agility and velocity. Okay, and I was a squadron commander as well uh, as uh, being at the 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 tip of the spear with respect to high-velocity aerial combat. I was the squadron commander of the of the squadron that uh, represented that uh, capability for this carrier task force. Keep in mind that that being squadron commander is not a trivial assignment. It is very, very... Um, meaningful and extremely important probably the most important thing is it gives you the ability and it gives you the authority to go outside your organization and to uh, tap into the resources that other organizations uh, might have that can support you and to request that support so as squadron commander as the commander of a uh, forward deployed combat unit, I had the authority and I was expected to go outside and um, and secure resources, the necessary resources that were needed in order for me to accomplish my mission. Okay, <clears throat> these kinds of organizations that I'm talking about are very mission focused. All right, the, the, the mission is prime. These are, uh, these are not administrative organizations. These are operating organizations, and the mission was everything. Okay, when I say that, there is a, a moral and ethical... Uh, <clears throat> overview that needs to be understood and embraced and it comes from the uniform code of military justice as well as what we would call uh, uh, naval tradition uh, and we would call uh, what does it mean to be an American okay so those three things come together so there is a there is an overview. There is an overarching position in which we operate. In uh, our vision, is it embraces uh, moral and ethical values. We are a moral people. Okay. Other uh, other countries and other combat organizations have not uh, have not been so in the history of this world, and so uh, that makes us. Not unique, but it but it certainly singles us out as being exceptional. So this is an exceptional country because we do embrace that. Okay, so what do we mean by uh, high velocity aerial combat? All right, first and foremost, as a squadron commander, I had to uh, secure. Uh, a whole bunch of resources in order to pull this mission off. Okay, it required a, um, you know, a, a a catalog of of resources that were needed, uh, human resources, uh, spare parts, equipment, test equipment, uh, you name it. Uh, a very extensive list. We had to have 
we had to have our never out list. What does that mean? Well, it was pretty important, and I wish more people would talk about it and embrace this idea. Never out list is the list of items that were necessary that were needed to be uh, on board or needed to be secured and needed to be in one's possession prior to deployment. Okay. Uh, it's not... Um, it's actually not a very large number because we use the 2080 rule, right? 2080 rule means that 20% of whatever is necessary will produce 80% of the results. The The trick here is to find out what is the top 20%. Okay, what is that 20%, right? We know that if we get the 20% of spare parts and resources and test equipment and people uh, uh, skillful people in certain places. If we do get the 20%, then it will produce 80% of the results. And so that's what we focus on. Uh, and that is a, uh, that is a, you say a, a rule, okay, uh, that's a statistical, um, uh, position to take. Uh, it was proven to be uh, an accurate rule, if you will, uh, during World War II. So we know that it works. We have the data to show us that it is actually uh, workable and effective. Okay, so <clears throat> I needed to have all kinds of resources in place in order to pull this off. Now, what, what was I doing? I was uh, in the process of uh, addressing myself to high-velocity aerial combat, specifically close-in, high-velocity, mission-realistic aerial combat against a near-peer adversary that, in which both of us were operating at the high end of the conflict spectrum. Now, what exactly does that mean? I've talked about this, but I'm not sure I completely explained it. What the high end of the conflict spectrum means that it means that we're we're dealing with uh, the top of the line uh, equipment, right? Top of the line fighters, top of the line uh, uh, airborne radar top-of-the-line command and control systems, top-of-the-line aerospace systems. It might be even um, uh, satellite systems, top-of-the-line navigation systems, top-of-the-line weapon systems. That's what we're talking about, all right? And so, the, so our adversary uh, is at the same level of capability as we are. So it's an even match with respect to that. So we're operating at the high end of the conflict spectrum. So what's the deciding factor? The deciding factor is not, as it turns out, it is not the equipment. It's not the machine. The deciding factor is the human. This has been proven time and time again. I don't know why we don't know this. It's been proven in... In World War II, it's been proven in in Korea, uh, proven very, very effectively, by the way, and uh, amazingly by the U.S. Air Force in the Korean conflict, uh, flying the uh, F-86 Sabre against the, the Chinese Communist forces that were flying the MiG-15, the F-86 had a much better performance, cap uh, uh, much better performance, air combat performance, than the MiG-15. Notwithstanding the fact that the MiG-15 had similar uh, performance capabilities, well, but the deciding factor was the pilot. Our, our pilots were better trained, and as a result we were very successful. 
Okay, so that's what we mean by the high end of the conflict spectrum. All right. Now, I was engaged in high-velocity aerial combat, okay, against uh, at the high end of the conflict spectrum. And my job was to prepare for battle, which, which is what I did, uh, for not only for myself but for all the rest of my squadron pilots to prepare for battle. We were uh, preparing ourselves for sonic warfare. And I talked about this before, but it bears repeating. Sonic warfare is what we did. We were called sonic warriors because that's what we did. And our job was to prepare for and dominate the airborne battle space. Now, domination can either be the posture that you have achieved or the uh, actual kinetic engagement or both, okay? Uh, When you prepare for battle, the most important thing is preparing for battle. That's the most important thing. And actually, as it turns out, if we remove some of the uh, the human emotional stress from the equation, preparing for battle is more difficult than actual battle in, in almost all cases. Our job was to dominate the airborne battle space, and that's what we did in the Pacific Theater of Operation. Okay. And what does that take to dominate the airborne battle space. Okay, before we get into uh, a a meaningful discussion of uh, velocity and energy, uh, let me talk about the the human intellect for a minute, all right? The human intellect is, uh, has to be, uh, has to be uh, such that uh, it, can perform well under extremely difficult conditions. In order to do that, we have to be able to clarify what is objectively real. Okay? This is extremely important. The first order of business is what I call objective reality, right? So our situational awareness needs to be such that we can identify and uh, uh, utilize our ability to achieve objective reality. We can create a model of reality that is real, and that is actual, and that is true. Okay, our big uh, challenge is is to figure out, is it real or is it a deception? That was our biggest challenge. Not the engagement, not anything like that. Our biggest challenge was to determine with a very, very high level of confidence whether or not something is real or is it a deception. And furthermore, is my skill and abilities robust enough to defeat all hostile forces? Okay. Do I know? Here's the here's the key questions here. Do I know what is going on? Do I know what to do once I figure out what is actually going on in the battle space? Do I know what to do? Have I formulated a viable attack plan? Have I 
executed the attack and have I achieved mission success? Okay, those are important things to keep in mind. And that's kind of the sequence by which we operate as well, right? We don't go in there, uh, we don't go into a battle engagement unless we have a, uh, a, a, a developed or formulated a plan of attack. And that's crucial. So, and we have to be able to project once we once we identify what is actually going on in the battle space we have to look at a future projection what what is it what is the most likely future state of this battle space given what we understand is happening currently in the here and now what is the projection into the future or what is the likely projection into the future. So <clears throat> our thinking and reasoning has to be able to accurately depict reality or accurately understand reality or we have to accurately uh, uh, a, uh, accurately uh, be, formulate what is the model of reality that is real and will enable us to uh, become uh, uh, successful, uh, but enable us to formulate a uh, a viable attack plan and execute such such that we can achieve mission success. Okay, so our thinking and reasoning: we have to be objective. We have to be uh, accurate. We have it has to be uh, based upon what is real. It has to be based upon what is true. If not, if 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 not, if our ability to accurately depict what is real and true is faulty, then uh, it is very likely that we will fail. And uh, and it could very well be uh, the end of our life as well. Okay. So the stark reality is this: we are operating in an arena in which it, in which the truth has to be known. If the truth is not understood if the truth is not known we have no chance of being successful now we can take that key aspect of reality and superimpose that on our lives we can say okay if we are going to be successful first and foremost we can say uh, i can rephrase that slightly if we are going to be successful in life first and foremost we have to be able to think like a fighter pilot. How does a fighter pilot think? A fighter pilot thinks in such a way so as to clearly and accurately and unambiguously define what is real and what is true. Okay? That's what is necessary today in this world. Uh, and we don't have a choice. I'm sorry if you think I'm being a little bit harsh, but that's just the way it is, and that's the whole point of this uh, Throttle Up radio show and podcast. All right. If you cannot reliably determine what is real and true, then you need to go back and start learning how to do that and commit yourself to being able at some point near point in time in the near future to be able to do such a thing we have to be able to do that once we identify what is real and true within the airborne battle space then we can start looking at what will it take for me to be 
successful? What will it take? So, I was, when I was a bit younger, the commander of a forward deployed combat unit, arguably the most important job in the universe of jobs. My military assignment as the commander was to prepare for and deploy aboard the USS Constellation so as to dominate the airborne battle space in the Pacific Theater of Operation. Okay, that was my job. In order to do this, I had to master four things. Okay, now you may want to stop and, and write this down. I would suggest that, that perhaps that would be a good thing to do. The first thing that I had to master is the dynamic aspects of critical thinking. I had to be I had to be very good at that. The second thing I had to master is I has have to master the management of velocity. Another way of saying that is that I had to uh, be able to effectively manage velocity and the velocity vector. Now, I'm using a little bit of technical language here, but stick with me. Okay, velocity is speed. Okay, velocity vector is the trajectory given that you're traveling along a, um, a flight path. What is the velocity of that flight path and what is the direction? That's the velocity vector, okay? It's going in a certain direction, and it's it's with re, with respect to the compass rose. Okay, it's not hard to understand. All right, so velocity and trajectory had to be mastered, or another way of saying that, like I said, is I had to be able to effectively manage velocity, trajectory, and last but not least, energy. Okay, so I have three things I have to do in order for me to be good at, to be uh, successful within the high-velocity airborne battle space. Velocity, trajectory, and energy. The more energy you have, the better off you are. Everything is energy. Everything around you is energy. It doesn't matter what it is. Everything around the world of a fighter pilot is some key aspect of energy. Okay, You cannot stay airborne without energy. You can't. How can you do that? You can't. You have to have energy to stay airborne. You have to have energy to pull six... 8Gs like they were doing in the Top Gun Maverick movie, uh, even up to 10Gs. I think at one point uh, there was a maneuver that uh, that pegged out at, uh, at 10Gs, if I remember right. You have to have energy in order to do that. Okay. So is that a ad hoc process? How does one manage uh, those things, right? How does one think critically and and effectively manage velocity, trajectory, and energy. How do you do that? Okay. Well, there is, there's a number of approaches that you can take. And the first approach is that, well, we're not sure, but, it, you know, it, uh, I, I just do it on an ad hoc basis and all kind of seat of the pants kind of thing, and, and I would just hope for the best. Okay. Now, that is... <laughs> you know that that's prototypical uh i i you know i'm i'm chuckling here because uh wh what else are you going to do yeah i mean that that's the, that's probably the worst thing that you can do and yet uh it just seems to be uh 
commonly held that we can't do any better than that, so we just have to muddle through. Uh, and that I, I don't, I'm not sure where this muddling through uh, mindset comes from. Okay, if you're going to be successful in any walk of life, particularly uh, being a fighter pilot flying supersonic aircraft, you can't just muddle through. It's not going to work. You got to do something di different. You have to be better than that. Okay. So let me let me just focus. Uh, uh, spend a few minutes on velocity. Okay. And and we will continue with uh, some of the others, uh, perhaps on hopefully on on the next show and, and stuff like that. But I wanna I wanna focus on velocity. You don't enter the airborne battle space with a velocity deficit. Okay, that's the key to success. There is no uh, other option. Uh, how do we know, know this? Well, we know this uh, uh, from a number of perspectives. One of them is our experience in World War II. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out specifically the time and place where it became painfully obvious that velocity was one of the keys to mission success within the airborne battle space. Where was that? How did we get there? And what happened? The location was the Battle of the Philippine Sea during World War II. That was the location. It was also called, uh, metaphorically, the, uh, the Marianas Turkey Shoot. Okay. But that's the battle. That is the airborne battle in which velocity prevailed, in which superior velocity was one of the deciding factors, not the only one, but it was one of the deciding factors for mission success. Uh, the, the United States Navy and naval aviation and carrier aviation in particular was overwhelmingly successful in the Battle of the Philippine Sea against the Imperial Japanese Navy. Okay, why was that? Because we had uh, we had a uh, velocity uh, vector, if you will, or our velocity within that airborne battle space, our, our, our capability to achieve a certain velocity exceeded the capability of the enemy to achieve that same velocity. We had a, uh, a velocity advantage uh, during that period of time of... Uh, somewhere in the vicinity of uh, 60 knots. Okay, a 60-knot advantage at terminal velocity. What is our terminal velocity? It's, we had a 60-knot advantage. Also had, because of that, we had better maneuverability uh, because of the higher energy levels and... Um, and last but not least, we had a, a more powerful engine and all of that stuff, right? But it was enabled us to achieve uh, greater levels of velocity than the enemy could achieve, right? So the velocity was key. Velocity was, was the key to any airborne uh, battle space success, okay? The, the, the need for speed was the key factor we had to have higher velocity and a number of fighter pilots in world war ii were insisting upon that and as a result uh the uh, american aerospace industry in this particular case it was grumman aerospace uh, that came uh came to the rescue Right. We were operating airplanes that, uh, that were 
that exhibited a uh, velocity decrement or a uh, they were operating at a velocity disadvantage with respect to the enemy's aircraft. But after uh, after the Battle of Midway, the U.S. Uh, uh, U.S. aerospace, in particular the Grumman Aviation, came up with a better airplane, and the Pratt and Whitney came up with a better engine. And they produced uh, the F eight F six F Hellcat. Uh, keep that in mind. The Hellcat, the Hellcat, could uh, had uh, ab- about a, th- a sixty knot advantage over the uh, Japanese Zero. Okay, that proved decisive in that airborne battle space in that uh, aerial combat engagement that we call the Battle of the Philippine Sea. That proved decisive. And that has proved decisive ever since. Okay? Ever since. We have been, uh, we, I'm talking about the United States and the United States Navy and carrier aviation, we have been at the forefront of high-velocity aerial combat. We have been at the very, very forefront. Uh, We have been, uh, by and large, over the course of uh, 50 years, by and large, we have been the best in the world consistently with respect to velocity. Velocity was so important in terms of uh, its ability to enable one to achieve mission success that there was a massive national effort during the 1950s and the 1960s to achieve higher levels of velocity, higher levels of sustained velocity than our enemies could. Massive efforts. We produced airplanes that uh, were, were way ahead of anything else that was out there on the world stage. Way, way ahead. Okay, so velocity was key. We have we had to then, once we were able to achieve that sustained level of velocity. Okay, and I'm going to add one other thing to it because it goes hand in glove, and that is trajectory. All right, or velocity and velocity vector. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to put those two things together. So velocity and the trajectory or the velocity vector of the airplane. Okay. That, the ability to achieve world-class performance with respect to velocity and trajectory was the deciding factor in all of our engagements and all of our preparations in which the enemy just was not willing to engage us because we had dominated the airborne battle space uh, like uh, like never before and uh, and going into a uh, a firing war or a kinetic war was was inconceivable to the enemy okay so keep that in mind all right when you say, what war? Well, in mo- in most cases, it was we were so prepared for war that that a breakout in actual firing never did occur, and that was by and large the history of the Cold War. There were some uh, periods of time where there were some regional conflicts, so to speak, but they were 
not regionally inspired. Uh, there were some of those, like Vietnam uh, and in uh, uh, the full first Gulf War and stuff like that. But uh, by and large, our ability to dominate the airborne battle space, um, particularly at the tail end of Vietnam and um, and going forward, uh, was we were uh, we were unstoppable. Okay, nobody could uh, nobody could match us. Uh, nobody could defeat us in the air, and and the whole world knew that. Uh, I wish that still occurred today. Hopefully it does, but I'm not sure. All right. Velocity and velocity vector or velocity and trajectory. Okay. Next week we'll talk about energy and energy management. But in order for us to be successful, we had to be able to get up to a speed that was superior to whatever the enemy could put in the air. So we had to uh, exceed the velocity capability uh, that our enemy was capable of achieving. We had to be the top-tier adversary. We had to be able to operate at the high end of the conflict spectrum and succeed. We did that primarily because we could achieve velocities such that our enemy could not match. That was the key, one of the keys to our mission success. Uh, we, we spending, we're going to be spending a lot more time on velocity in our sub-stack. I, I haven't talked about that, have I? Uh, we have a sub-stack. Is that... Uh, what do you, I'm asking my audio engineer. What what is the Substack? Is that a articles on Substack? Is that is that how I should say that? Okay, so we're we're now doing a series of articles on Substack, which uh, come out every week, and you can go to Substack and get. I think you can go to Substack and and just type it in, uh, the Sonic Warrior. All right, so that's another Throttle Up Radio Show and podcast. Thank you for listening. And we will see you all next week.